The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. on it rj bell with steve cofield this is edition number four but for the new listeners and each week our listenership on this show has gone up each week we look at the hottest takes we have the vegas verdict on those hot takes as we like to say cold cash beats hot takes we do have the hot take hot shot steve cofield co-host of this show as we said i'm rj bell And we have a very interesting show here today. We're going to have the hottest take of the week, and that's by Max Kellerman on First Take. We're going to have the best take of the week. And, Cofield, this is a this is probably going to be like a 40-minute segment on NFL quarterbacks. We've got takes from Mike Lombardi. we got takes from Joel Klatt. We've got controversy about potential racism and all kind of, you know, potential, not enough social justice. Man, oh man, that's going to be good. Additionally, we got topics including asking a player if he was gay in the combine during the interview. We got Canelo Alvarez, positive PED test. What do we do? The Vegas perspective on that. We got some Sopranos news. Yes, Tony and the boys, some news there. and. Insider trading with Peyton Manning. <laughs> and as we do every week, get off my lawn. Steve Cofield rapidly approaching 50 and he's mad. He's mad about a lot of stuff. <laughs> Showtime. Woo! All right, Steve set up for us. What went on with the combine and the gay question. So as you said, the NFL, Vetting and interview process is fascinating. These questions they throw at the athletes to get their reaction, maybe under pressure, try to offend them, show them bad plays, see how they react. You know, a real-time test of how you're going to react under pressure when you actually start your career. So Darius Geis is speaking about some of the interview topics. Darius Geis is considered one of the top five running backs in the NFL draft in this class. He's from LSU. I actually believe he's the best running back in the class, which makes this even more interesting if others agree with me. So anyway, Darius Geis speaking out about what was asked of him, which I wonder if that's taboo and if that's going to hurt his draft stock. Now, he came out with one point. Let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, what did he say that was asked? So the first question was... About his family. Has your mother ever sold herself? Now, this is a familiar query because... Wasn't this the Dolphins years ago? This was the Dolphins with Des Bryant. Basically, is your mother a whore and a hooker? Wow. Now, here's what throws me. Since that exact question... Yep. Like, most people that get in PC trouble usually don't realize... Now, we can condemn them potentially sometimes for that, but they don't realize... That this is a taboo or a shaky question. Since that's the exact question that caused all the problems, and we are so much more politically correct as a society today than we were. What's that been? Six, seven years, right? Yes. And it blew up. Everyone it, knows about it around the National Football League. So how? What, 
how could anyone think it'd be a good idea to ask that same question again? So let me give you the exact question is, as Darius Geis said, was stated to him. Hey, I heard your mom sells herself. How do you feel about that? That's the way he says it was presented. Now, again, I understand why, in theory, questions are asked to put you in a corner in a box. You know, how do you fight out of that? How do you deal with adversity? Yeah, but you could ask, you could call him the N-word and see the same thing, too. Like, where's where's the line? <laughs> yeah, well, where's clearly, the, line? And, clearly and, the line is what, been established in this yep. vein of question. And it was not, this was not okay. That's why that one is especially shocking. Now, I think the more offensive... Now, is, is the team denying it? Well, there hasn't been a team named yet. Ah. That's the intriguing thing here. The NFL came out immediately and said, no, 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 no. We, we do not approve of this. This is not kosher. Well, we need to know which team it is. Now, Geist, to his credit, or not so, credit... So the NFL saying, no, no, no. Right. They're saying, no, we're not okay with this. Not, no, this didn't happen. No, they've acknowledged that it happened. And so that so there's no question it. that it's happened. Mm-hmm. But we don't don't know the team. They're taking him on his word. We do not know the team yet. Uh, The second question was maybe not as direct, but it was simply, Guy says, do you like men? Which I think is a thinly veiled attempt at, are you gay? Thinly veiled? What else could it be? (laughs) Well, I mean, actually, I can answer it like, yes, I've always played with men on my team, and in the locker room, I seem to get along with other males. <laughs> right? I mean, I guess if, if someone wanted to be an idiot from the NFL and say, one of these teams, and say, well, that's what I meant. I was, gay? What are you talking about? Everyone's blowing this up. They misunderstand it. But you understand, as a person who employs others, you know, I, I have a job. I've had jobs. I'm pretty certain that you're not allowed to ask that sort of question in an interview. Hell, if we can't ask... Basically, can you even ask how old someone is anymore? Do you have kids is taboo. You you can't go out and say, basically, are you gay? Let me make a suggestion. I think we get away from the legal side of this because that is one for attorneys. Mm-hmm. And number two, it's kind of boring, right? Because it, it might be a, a, a certain state has one law, next state has the next law. And just because there's a law against it doesn't mean it's right or doesn't mean it's wrong. And just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. So if you agree, let's stick to uh, ethics or morality or, you know, uh, spiritual health. Like, you know, what's right and wrong Mm -hmm. from our perspective. So why does a team need to know if a player is gay? Let's just tackle that issue. Now, I'm probably going <laughs> to, maybe it's just my... Don't hold back. Yeah, well. because Do I, not on this, because I, th- I, I think it's a valid question. I think it's a, well, it's a valid concern. You're not allowed to ask a question, but it is a valid concern. Cannonball it. And then one more, he's right on top of it. Cannonball! Cannonball coming. Cannonball coming. You know I'm not going to hold back, right? So here's what I'm going to say. And, and obviously, on the legal side, which we're going to avoid, this one seems pretty clear cut. So... Even if my argument here is valid, doesn't make it okay with the on the legal side, and it might not even make it okay morally. But if it was pure utility, pure like nothing, this is World War Three, and all we care about is winning kind of mentality. I would make the following case: if a player, and I'm not talking about this player, but let's just say a generic player were gay and in the closet, then there is a risk that. If that player was exposed 
Or if that player at some point later decided to come out, that the distraction factor for that player would go through the roof, right? So if you're saying, like, if it's valid, and I I believe it is, if a team, and again, it's back to the idea of if you're just looking at football and not thinking about anything else. Because with the with war, we're all pretty comfortable saying that, you know, if, if someone's offended, if if some group is is uh, oh, even oppressed, we're OK with that. If we genuinely believe that we have a better chance to win a war because there's, you know, many, many lives are freedom potentially at stake. I think that bar is a rare bar. I think other times you got to weigh is there utility for this and then what are the societal consequences but if we're just looking at utility I thought it was very reasonable if a team said we don't want distractions we don't want Tim Tebow you know now if Tim Tebow was the eighth best quarterback in the NFL we deal with the distractions right but we don't want a backup quarterback with distractions and Kaepernick we don't want those distractions and obviously with uh, was it Michael Sam was that his name is if you thought he was a first round talent, he would have been picked no doubt. And he would be on a team right now. But if you're saying this guy, the, the, the marginal difference between this guy and the next guy is small. If anything, why add and take on the distraction? That's a utility perspective that I think has merit. Now, obviously it's more complex than that, but let's keep it that narrow for now. Do you agree with that? I agree with the fact that if you've got some cultural issues in your locker room, then you need to be concerned about who you're bringing in there. I'm talking about examining what you have and if that person is going to blend in, if there's going to be issues with other players, maybe you've got to fix the mentality of the other players. But absolutely, on the distraction front, that is something you're going to have to confront if the player uh, comes out you know, after he's drafted. My gut feeling, and maybe I'm an optimist with this stuff, I think the locker room stuff, it would be much smaller today than it would have been even seven or eight years ago. I think the media stuff, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, has there been, uh, did did Sam ever play in the NFL? I mean, I know he was on rosters. He got practice squad time. Yeah, but he never was in a game. Right. So there hasn't been an out, Guy in uh, an out gay guy in an NFL game, right? No, now while they played, there's been players who've come out after they Who, played. Who's the, NFL. the biggest name that's done that? There was a lineman on the Vikings, a lot, yeah, yeah, defensive <laughs> lineman. So, to me, the first time that happens, it, I think the media distraction would be a lot bigger than even the locker room problem. So, we're, I think we both agree, and to whatever amount. It's the media to whatever a distraction to whatever amount the locker room, uh, let's say potential conflicts. Right. And let's be honest, there's a lot of Southern, there's a lot of, um, I don't want to say old school conservative, socially conservative values with a lot of football players. Right. And not saying it's okay. And that's the whole complexity here, right? Kind of this country is based upon the fact that even if something makes you uncomfortable, your right not to be uncomfortable isn't as strong as this person's right. right? But this isn't about saying, oh, no gays are allowed to play in the NFL. It's about a team saying, what kind of factor is this when we're assessing the value of this player? But let's apply this to a player who's on a team. Odell Beckham. Has Odell Beckham been worth a first-round pick, or has he been more of a distraction 
than the value brings to the field. Because the rumors are around Odell Beckham that he is gay. Uh, that is that right? I never absolutely. Uh, and that a lot of the reasons he pops off on the field is that he's being slurred all the time. Like that was the rumor around the Josh Norman Beckham battle where they were suckering Beckham into stupid penalties. Now, was this something major? This is mainstream stuff to the point where I know people who do radio out of New York who openly talk about Odo Beckham being gay on the air. I wouldn't do it as it, I don't as, know. As it's a fact? They, they say it as it's a fact? Wow. So, okay. Um, I guess I'm I mean, not in a, a malicious way. No, 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 but no. But they're no. addressing like, hey, is this guy a franchise player? Is he too much of a distraction? Can he get along with others? Can he, but can Steve, he stay under control? I, I, think, I think you're asking the wrong question. The question isn't what is Beckham's in this hype, or I'll call it a hypothetical because I don't have any direct knowledge, is in this scenario, the question isn't how good is the net assessment of Beckham as a player, his contribution, whatever you want to call that assessment. It is, is there a distraction element to that assessment? He has a core intrinsic ability at his current age, current experience level. Is any is there any dis, dis, uh, subtraction of that because of the distractions, and I would say unequivocally. Now you might say, okay, but he, let's say on a scale of one to hundred, he's a ninety-six as a player. Maybe the distraction is minus four, so he's still a ninety-two, right? But isn't what the NFL is trying to do is ascertain risk, and if they believe that he might come out or he might be outed and it's some huge distraction, they would have to put that into the Excel sheet and say, maybe it's only 4% or something, you know, downgrade, but it would be a downgrade. You would think now, does that make it okay to ask it? That's another question. I think pure utility. There's a reason to ask it. There is. I also think you can get the information without asking the person directly. Let's be realistic here. You know, they, I personally think they ignored a lot of the warning signs on Aaron Hernandez, but I believe teams around the NFL knew about Aaron Hernandez in terms of some of his troubles at Florida. So you can pretty much find out just about anything you want. Now, a lot of times I think teams find out more than they want to know about a player. And then they hope no one else finds out about it and they still draft him. And, you know, let's hope this works. Uh, but there is a way to find out, you know, these important yeah. notes without asking them, you know, to their face. But here's the next level point. This is good. Isn't that, the soft bigotry of low expectations, meaning that if you, there's a factor in this player that potentially troubles you, don't you owe it to that player to find out about it? Not the truth of it or not, but how sensitive he is, how much he, in a way, maybe they baited him and the fact that he came out with this because you could make the argument he's a rat, right? He's whatever's going on in mm -hmm. there. Yeah. So, in a way, if he, it, let's say they, again, I don't know, hypothetically, let's say they knew 100% this player, I don't even know the player that well, was gay. Okay. Is maybe they were saying, let's ask him if he says, hey, listen, that's personal, but, you know, let's say uh, some answer that was real professional and then he never said a word about it. They'd be like, okay, it, we know it's true, but it doesn't bother us because he's not going to be a prima donna. Now they're saying, huh, this guy's out there in the press. Yep. Do you agree with what I said earlier? He's probably going to drop now just for trying to be honest and also maybe borderline social crusader. I think there's nothing the NFL. Here's the thing. Most people and most people aren't going to like this. Most people don't 
work in any way that that approaches the way an NFL team works during the season. And I guess that's a fair way. I, I don't think many people is going to be mad at that. If you're a school teacher, you're not working like Belichick the week before he plays the Steelers. And any distraction, any distraction, th- those guys hate because it's just 20 minutes. It can't be grinding. So <laughs> so I think any time you look like you're going to cause distractions, you get downgraded. See, but it's funny. We'll roll in the potential that this player, I, w- I would assume he was asked for a reason. Maybe there are whispers that he is homosexual, Darius Geis. And yet, we just saw some trades go down the last two weeks with the Rams, where they've taken on two cornerbacks who both have crap reputations off the field and around their team. Because but- Akeem Tlaib just got traded for by the Rams. They, they also got Marcus Peters. So it's a different sort of risk. But in terms of your assessment... People will take on guys like that because they know the talents of the roof. This is a little bit different. The guy yeah. hasn't played in the NFL yet. Steve, this is a great example of the Vegas perspective by me, RJ, and the normal talk radio perspective. If you think about it like a finance guy would, it's not it's not a binary. It's not either this person is worthy of being uh, or this person is someone we want on our team or it's not. It's, hey, if this person didn't have this problem, whatever the problem mm-hmm. was, maybe it's legal problems in their past or whatever, I would rate them on a scale of one to hundred. I'm being a GM here, a ninety four with the legal problems are ninety. Right, I got it. They still are going yeah. after the nine. So Talib, whatever they were willing to pay for, Tlaib, I totally get it. Yeah, they they may have the two best. They may have the best cornerback combo in football now. The Rams and they gave up two fifth round picks and a second. And they understand there's a chance they might have to cut Talib. Like yeah, so. So what they, it really they weighed that in, in. the second round pick, that that hall of the of two of the ten best defensive backs in football, worth the risk. I mean, same. I mean, you think about Bel- the way Belichick has thought about it, right? The the great example of Randy Moss being the home run, but you got Hainsworth. I mean, there's a long list of them. It didn't hit, and for him, it's like playing the lot. Hey, if I played 10, 20 to one long shots and won one of them. I'm pretty happy. Hey, first thing we saw on Tlaib when he was traded, Patriots disappointed they wanted him. They wanted him back for a second time. So they were going after him. All right, changing topics here. Pregame.com, RJ Bell, the hot take hotshot Steve Cofield joins. We got Jerry West and Jerry West talking about the future of basketball. And with the NCAA tournament right around the corner, conference tournaments this weekend, it's a good time to think about basketball and take in, quite frankly, this bold statement from Jerry West. Years ago, when I came to the city of Los Angeles, we were nobody. Last page of two newspapers. I had no writers, no coverage at all. You know, I'm going to say this. I don't like to say things that are controversial at all, but this game is going to overtake all the other sports. Jerry West, the logo, saying basketball NBA, college basketball is going to be the most popular sport. Reaction. He's wrong. Should I elaborate? <laughs> if you think we want to hear it. Are we, only, are we only talking about the United States? Is that the only place it really counts? I don't think so. Because I think... Now, I, there's a lot of ways... I mean, basketball Basketball is already a bigger sport worldwide than American football. Mm-hmm. That's that's yeah. done. So let's look at it from... Right. Because what I was thinking is American sports 
but worldwide interest. Meaning, how much money is this sport making, in a way, is the ultimate measure. So, you still think no? I still think no. The first point I'd like to run by you is race. Can a predominantly black league overtake the National Football League, which also has a lot of African Americans, but they have helmets on? So, you see the faces. You see the personalities. Now, the counter to that, that the NBA can never overcome race is that it's actually extremely popular where it's growing the most, RJ. The demo is under 35. So are people under 35 more progressive? Is racism getting mostly extinguished with people under 35 where it won't matter as much that the majority of the players are black? That was a concern with Stern and the whole, what was that, 2000? The dress code, yeah. yeah, The early 2000s, yes. Going after guys like Allen Iverson. Yeah, so... Not only, I think, if you look at millennials, there's less racism, but also there's a more diverse group of people. Yes. Um, here's what makes me most interested or, or more, most optimistic about basketball. What does it take, if you're seven years old, to play football, real football, right? We used to have all kind of, we played quarterback. I don't know. It's so weird. I've never talked about this. I have no idea if people would play it anywhere else. But you'd, you'd play quarterback <laughs> where there'd be three people. Sure. One guy was a steady QB. And then it would be you two, you know, two other people going heads up. And it's just, it's, there's nothing until you get to, you know, peewee football. And then, you know, pretend now there's more flag, I think. That is an endeavor to do that. And anything you do on your own is going to be some small variation of it as in two on two, three on three, whatever. And you're not in pads, most likely whatever baseball, right? You can play. We used to play points in baseball, home run worth five, hit it off the wall, four bouncing the wall, three hit the outfield. You know, it was like the home run derby, except you just had to get it in the outfield. But then there'd be, let's say it was three on three. There'd be a guy in center, a guy in left. And if you caught it, it didn't count. So it was kind of fun, but it wasn't baseball. Right? You had nine people. You had to have a big old field, right? And remember football, you need that expensive real estate. Basketball, it's literally in your backyard. Yep. Right? Economically cheapest. And from a number standpoint, I can play basketball by myself. That's playing basketball. Just going out and shooting is playing basketball. Can't play football by yourself. Yeah. Can't really play baseball by yourself unless you want to throw to, what is that, a pitch back? Right, I used to spring it back. I used to throw against, well, or throw a tennis ball against a brick wall. Sure, right, sure. And I also think that the the same, I think, reasonable question about the you know majority minority of the NBA and the fact that they're so front and center as individuals, not obscured by the helmet, is also what is an advantage of the NBA. I mean, who other than Tom Brady, who's the second biggest guy in the NFL right now? Behind Tom Brady. Popularity like Q rating. As in, he's up there with with President Trump. He's up there with Hillary Clinton. As in, who's recognizable? Aaron Rodgers, J.J. Watt. Boy, if I had to close my eyes and think of J.J. Watt's face, I'm not sure. I I couldn't do a police sketch on J.J. Watt's face. And you could probably come up with 10 NBA players. I could come up with 30 NBA players before J.J. Watt. Really? Their face? Yeah. Yeah. So to me, is this is an age of of brand. This is an age of how many followers do you have on Instagram? So to whatever degree Michael Jordan 
and his awareness back in the 90s, his Q rating helped the NBA. I think that the Q rating, uh, the awareness number, whatever you want to call it, of the players in the sports moving forward is going to be more and more impactful, more and more meaningful to the bottom line. Another advantage for the NBA. Can I give you one more where Jerry West loses? Gambling. The NFL will always be a better and bigger gambling sport than the NBA. Is that the chicken and the chicken or the egg though? Meaning how much of that is because the NFL is more popular, gambling on it is more popular versus if the NBA were equally popular, do you think now understanding that if you look at the NBA, there's 82 games plus playoffs versus 16 plus playoffs. So it wouldn't make any sense that on a per game basis, the NBA would have as much, but if the NBA had what, uh, a fifth as much per game or so, then it's going to equal out. I think the Sunday schedule gives the NFL such an advantage. Sunday, Monday, it's appointment viewing, appointment betting. But if the NBA was just as popular, those Sunday games on ABC would be appointment watching. Don't you think it's also an easier sport to bet? Not win, but to understand. I think it's equal. It's a point spread. I find the NBA maddening once you watch it because the games have so many ups and downs. And that's not like the NFL doesn't go back and forth, but the NBA is rough to try to get a gauge on what's going on. And a lot of people think, hey, you just wait until the fourth quarter and that's when the game's going to start taking off. But in a way that what you're saying is the problem betting the NBA is part of the problem of the NBA. So the theory is if they became the most, if it became the most popular sport, those problems might be addressed in a way. Just so you know, if people are listening and they're like, who's this old white Cofield? Who's ripping on the uh, the NBA versus the NFL? I like basketball more than football, so just so you know, <laughs> I actually do. No, I've, I always like playing it. I like watching it. I like college basketball more than the NBA, but I've always been a bigger basketball person than football and NFL. But I still believe the NFL will always be the biggest sport in this country from an interest standpoint. Participation that is another discussion. You like college basketball more than the NBA. Yes, I know a lot of that is one of the most insane, (laughs) you know, there's a famous Billy Donovan story when he was a player and, you know, he was, uh, where he was, he was with Patino, right? If I'm remembering right. And he had a pretty good college career. And then he remembers, he he tells this story. It's on Google. You can find it on Google, I'm sure. And he said, he he actually got in an NBA game, you know, like maybe the fourth game. He was like the 10th man, 11th man, Donovan. And he said right when he went in the game, the other coach, I think it was Pat Riley, now I remember, and he they're like, he's putting up off, you know, like the five, like a fist, five fingers or a fist going, all right, clear out, clear out, clear out. And they just, the the guard that he was on just backed him down. And, and then he was like, he said at that moment, I know I can't play in the NBA. <laughs> Is It just, to me, the idea that the guys that were like thinking, oh, you know, that this Morrison is so great. And then he gets to the league and can't even play. Yeah. It's like almost like like in Little League, the best. It's like it's the disparity is so much. Or, or coming up with like an over 40, under six foot league or something, that being your favor. I can separate it, though. I know who can play in the NBA and who can. Last year, Gonzaga and, made and, it. And, and, and in the championship game yeah. this year, the over under for 
NBA rotation players, meaning getting real time, what, one and a half? Correct. I mean, Nigel Williams-Goss was arguably the best player in the tournament last year, and I knew he had no shot at being an NBA regular immediately. He might make it eventually, but it doesn't that doesn't affect my fandom of the sport. I like the fans, the passion. I like being around the young kids, not in a creepy way. <laughs> I will say this. I like the college game more now than I did 10 years ago. Really? Because 10 years ago, the NBA had taken that next step with their uh, how athletic the game is. But it felt like the college game was still 20 years back. A lot of spot up shooting, <laughs> you know, not. And now it does. It almost felt, you know, you watch. I actually found myself watching like five minutes of a. Uh, of Connecticut, the women's game in the conference tournament here. I think it would have been two days ago or so. And just five minutes as I was flipping around and I'm like, man, they're playing a lot more athletically than they did. You know, probably first time I watched this year. And there's just something about watching the NBA. And then back in the day, college was so different. It looked like they were playing a different game. Right Now it feels like they're playing the same game, just obviously not at the same level. College is taking on all the guard and stretch principles that Golden State has you know, set a fire around the NBA. So there's a lot more shooting up and down. They also changed the rules so that there wasn't as much holding and fouling and you know the game's bogging down. Next topic, super fight. Coming up off the draw is with it? Canelo <laughs> and uh, big news on that. Yes, we've got uh, Canelo Alvarez testing positive with Vada, right? That's an outside agency. It's not a state agency. He popped hot for something called clenbuterol, clen, what people call it for short, real creative. Um, and it's often in Mexican meat. So Canelo, Mexican. There were trace amounts of Clen. So Vada, the outside testing agency that both fighters are working with, said, hey, it's within the allowable amounts. Well, the Triple G camp is like, what do you mean the allowable amounts? And now the Nevada State Athletic Commission, where the fight is in Nevada on uh, March 5th, they're like, hey, we have to look into this. This seems a little shaky to me in terms of, hey, now we've got leeway when you test positive for a PED. You're either positive or you're not. Hold the phone. Stop the clock, <laughs> as Ronnie would say. Why do you think there are thresholds? As in, if it's above the threshold, it's a problem. If it's below, it's not. It's because it's making an admission to the fact that there's innocent, reasonable ways this would be. I mean, it's just like with, or I mean, not just like, but with uh, your hormone levels, right? We all have men, women, natural levels, and those natural levels are okay, but if you have levels above that, it's unnatural. What that threshold seems to be saying is below this level, it's very reasonably a natural cause. And if it's above, it's not. The problem is the testing is not being done by the more accepted World Anti-Doping Association, nor, why, why not? nor the state. It's being done by a, and they're all for profit, but for by a for-profit company called the Volunteer Anti-Doping Association, which some people have called on the carpet for doing a little, participating a little too much in celebrity endorsement about their testing. So there's a question if this company is on the up and up and if we can even trust the results. So there will be an investigation. Well, first off, who, this is testing for the fight, the promoters of the fight and everything? They both agreed to use VADA. Okay. And is this something that Nevada, first of all, I don't know, but for those that don't know, Cofield had uh, many years as a writer for Yahoo, 
with UFC and boxing coverage, so you know this sport quite well. Do you have to have testing? No, this was volunteer. Go ahead. To go next level, it was... It was extra testing. They would have been tested anyway by the state, but this is next level. Okay. So anything, if zero is required, anything above zero is better than zero. And thus, we got to trust the results. Is I, This doesn't even seem like a question. It, and one of our, or not my exact colleague, because I don't work at ESPN anymore here in town. I had a show for five years here in town locally before Fox national show straight out of Vegas Fridays at 11 PM to midnight Saturday starts an hour earlier, 10 to midnight. That's Pacific time in Cofield is the host. I co-host and we have Brad powers, Fazic. And if you listen to the dream preview, you know, those guys. And if you don't yet listen to the dream preview, check it out. Same podcast channel as this one. Don't bet on it. So one of our, ESPN guys in town went on some rant about this. So the local ESPN personality is also the big columnist in town, and that's Ed Graney. And in his mind, if you test positive, some action has to be taken. And he believes that the Nevada State Athletic Commission is they a didn't, joke. They didn't test positive. He did test positive. No, he didn't. He, he tested positive. Positive is above this threshold. Allowable amounts for VADA. Exactly. Which, and, which and is not the state is, agency. But the... The state agency, it's not a requirement to have the boy, this is like this is like fifth grade logic stuff here. <laughs> There's no requirement for a state agency. They went above and beyond, and above and beyond Canelo was not um positive. With you know, an outside company, with it being outsourced. It, the state should be the boss. No, so that's a whole other debate. If yes. you're saying that that every if if what you're saying is every fight in Nevada should have the state controlling the doping, yes. testing and all that, fine. Yes. That's a whole other conversation. Well, I think all people are asking for is an investigation. Look a little deeper here because the conspiracy would be that Canelo is a Vegas based fighter. We've had this, you know, there's always a Vegas favorite out there. That he's a Vegas-based fighter. Sure, anyone who's going to bring in hundreds of millions of dollars is a Vegas uh, But there are certain guys like Floyd, like Oscar De La Hoya, who have had the reputation, hey, Vegas is going to favor them. So whether it's Because of the money. Yes. And that's the, you know, that was a question as sort of a casual boxing guy like yourself. I wanted to ask you, the state agency, what is their job? To make sure the fights are on the up and up, the sport is clean, or to maximize profits for the state from the sport? A little both, right? Well, I think the state agency has to have a mandate, and part of the mandate is going to be the safety of the fighters. To me, it's much more egregious to have illegal performance-enhancing drugs when there's a chance of hurting, a real chance of hurting the other, when it's a contact or collision sport. Boxing, UFC, football would be right at the top of the list. If you and there was the fighter back, the, the, a very strong, I think he was out of Tijuana that had the cast on his hands. Yeah. Antonio Margarito got caught loading up his fist. To me, that's the kind of thing you go, you should go to jail for 15 years for because you're going to brain damage someone because you want to win this fight. Okay, take the risk. But the, but the deterrent better be strong, strong, strong. And to me, this is, in fact, we're moving as the host. I know you're usually the host, Cofield. I'm moving on. This is absurd. I'm okay with this. This is absurd. Is they went above and beyond 
the fighters did the call of duty or the requirements. Let's call it that. And even above and beyond those requirements, he didn't test positive. I mean, like make your case. This is funny. I'm actually going to put you on the spot here. Make your case that somehow Canelo shouldn't fight. I don't know that he. Sh- no, I don't know that he shouldn't fight. I think there needs to be further testing, and I think the further the, testing, the, the initial action of there's no requirement nothing, for testing. Nothing to see here is not that's not acceptable in the because we've had fighters in the UFC who've tested positive for something similar, and they wound up paying the price. He didn't test positive. He did. No, according there's, to Vada, well, it's within the allowable amounts. Why do you think they have allowable amounts? Think about it, Steve. You're a high IQ guy. <laughs> not right now, apparently. <laughs> but, but but seriously, <laughs> what, they're not saying allowable amounts as in, hey, it's okay to juice a little bit, but don't juice a lot. Or it's okay to juice six months before the fight, but don't juice three months before the fight. They're saying allowable amounts because there's natural ways it could be in your system. That's the only reason they're going to have zero, not have zero tolerance. Allowable so we can still have the fight go on. <laughs> but they, they, did it, they did it retroactively, make it that an allowable amount. So just say, RJ, you're right. We'll move on. RJ, we may see down the road if you're right. <laughs> no, no. Or I'm right. <laughs> All right, next topic. I'm letting them off the hook here. Oh, a little pop, a little uh, pop culture for us. Sopranos movie. This was trending on Twitter, taping here Thursday evening at the pregame.com offices in Las Vegas. Sopranos movie. What are you hearing about it, Kofi? So what do you think? David Chase. Headline revives the Sopranos with new line prequel, prequel, prequel movie, The Many Saints of Newark. You're you're a Jersey guy. I am. You grew up how far from Newark? Uh, Probably 30 miles south. 30 miles south. Okay. But plenty of the crooked nose dudes and ruffians live south too. Well, even in the Sopranos, which now has been, what, over 10 years ago, they were like, remember Bobby Bacala got beat up outside of Bookie's joint? In Newark, they're like, the cops don't even go down there anymore. Yeah, none of those guys actually live in Newark. They operate around Newark, but they don't live there. Yeah. The Here's the reason I wanted to bring this up. David Chase is one of the most interesting, if not the most interesting TV creative guy ever. I would actually put him number two, David Milsh, who did NYPD Blue, and then he did, in my opinion... And it's going to shock people. The The show that was, there's two questions. Best show of all time. And for me, it's Sopranos, one. But there's a different question. What show reached the highest pinnacle for an extended period? All right? So let's say two seasons. And obviously this is arbitrary, two seasons. But two seasons which show, if you could take any two seasons of any show, reach the highest pinnacle? To me, that would be Deadwood. And a lot of people, Deadwood's not near as... Have you seen Deadwood? Loved it. You, did you? And I probably... Boy, I'm with you, man. I missed that show. I don't. I wish they hadn't cut Three it Three seasons. God, it was awesome. And, I mean, if you haven't seen it and you like the hardcore stuff, amazing. And... David Milch did that. And then he did Luck, which was the horse racing show, which only went one year. This guy, uh, probably the most talented Milch. But I would say David, and he had heroin problems, gambling problems. 
Uh, Milch actually is in debt like $30 million because of horse racing himself. Get out of here. He's a real, like, erratic artist. Wow. Uh, But David Chase, if you go read, and I know there's a ton of Sopranos fans listening, if you go read, Chase is one of those self-loathing, like, he will work a year on something and then think it's a piece of crap, (laughs) even though everyone else loves it. And if you read his thoughts about mortality... And the ending of The Sopranos, and I know that's a, a divisive ending, no, yeah. is just go into a deep dive on, because Chase has talked about, he hasn't given the answer of what the ending meant on The Sopranos, but he went at length about what he was trying to engender, evoke in people. And it, it really is one of the more, if not the most interesting discussions of morality or mortality of us, you know, our days being numbered, I've ever heard. Uh, so to me, it's worth saying one, cause I think Sopranos best show ever, and by the way, in the mix would be the wire to me and Mad Men, the best four for me, wow. uh, unequivocal. And I think, I know Breaking Bad tries to get, I think if you rewatch Breaking Bad, the last season is in the conversation of one of the best seasons in the history. And, and I'll count the whole 15 or so cause they split it up, but one of the best ever seasons of TV, but season one, two, and three. You know, before Gus got there, good, great even, but borderline great to me. And you look at Sopranos, it was great all the way through. Mad Men, and I, I know I'm probably a little more in an island with Mad Men, but I just think it's outstanding. You're not on Mad Men at all. Can I read your description real quick of the show if it hooks you even more? I mean, you sound like you're in. So No, the, no I'm not going to watch the Sopranos. <laughs> the the, the uh, description here is The Many Saints of New York. Uh, that's the working title. But it, it's... it's uh, what did I say? New York. The first time you said New York, just nice. Did I really say New York? Yeah. Check the tape. Saints of Newark. Uh, set in the Newark riots of the 60s. All right, I'm in. And uh, it says that was a time when African Americans and the Italians of Newark were at each other's throats. And amongst the gangsters of each group, those conflicts became especially lethal. Oh, that reminds me of one of my favorite early seasons when they went to, he- there was some black rappers that went to Hesh and said they wanted uh, restitution from uh, old royalties. Remember that one? Sure, yeah. Oh, man. I, and, and then uh, uh, <laughs> Christopher got caught up hanging out with the rappers and everything. Oh, man. Good show. I've, I've seen Sopranos probably nine times. I can tell. There. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. But, <laughs> all right. Moving on. Oh, we've got Peyton Manning. This is right up your conspiracy-laden mind, Ali Cofield. Go. It is, but it's also, it's labeled incorrectly. Uh, I called it insider trading of sorts. Peyton Manning was able to sell his 31 Papa John's stores before the NFL broke off the partnership with Papa John's. The deal closed two days before the announcement that PJ's would not be the official pizza anymore and Pizza Hut would be technically there's no insider trading. It's not the stock market. It's not securities. Is there an ethical question? Like you wonder, did Peyton Manning and his partners disclose that there was going to be a big change on the marketing front? Well, first, are we sure Peyton Manning knew? That's a great question. And number two, but I mean, you're right. That is completely conspiratorial. The leap forward I'm making, but the timing is amazing. But here's the thing. If like it was friend, I mean, you, you assume since he's a spokesperson, for the company that John Schnatter must have known about it and told Peyton Manning. 
if it were a transaction like I'm buying a stock uh-huh. and I can do it on my phone as we're talking here, I think you'd have a right to really question it. Right. But if you're selling dozens and dozens of brick and mortar Papa John's, or as you said, I've never heard the PJs. <laughs> Apparently, you have an intimate relationship with. Right, no, no. My problem is I don't. I don't like to say the name five thousand times unless I'm getting paid. <laughs> so and then it's no problem. Yeah, yeah, sure. Then I'll then I'll say it a million times. <laughs> but <laughs> at least you're at least total you're, dirtbag. At least you're honest. <laughs> but I'm guessing the due diligence and and the transaction time on that is is four months, five months. Yeah, it was. So, uh, so what are you even bringing this up for? Because everyone ran with it yesterday. The hot take, hot shot. The hot, the cold cash is just getting, <laughs> getting splashed on it. We're moving on. And the great thing, I like Peyton Manning, so I don't even want it to be true that he did something unethical. So good, it's for, so, it's good so, for him. It's so funny. I didn't even read this story, and I asked like three questions, completely debunk it. Uh, totally. I said it. I said it coming in. I'm like, it's not insider trading technically, but it's, it's interesting. Nothing that, technically. It, it's interesting that he unloaded 31 Papa Johns just as the NFL said goodbye. All right, coming up, we've got. The best take of the week, and it is a multifaceted, multi-quarterback NFL draft take. Then we've got my RJ take of the week, the hottest take of the week, and hot is not a good adjective in this case, and then get off my lawn. First, though, you've got some odds and such on... Rich Eisen, you got some stuff on the end. Another conspiracy in a way. Well, you have to be conspiratorial <laughs> on this one. So we usually look ahead at odds. We're going to look behind here and give you a review. If you didn't see it offshore, you could bet Rich Eisen, the NFL Network anchor. You could bet his 40 time. He's done this 40 time now for uh, over half dozen years at the Combine. He's run the 40 at the Combine for six plus years. And he's got a hashtag rich uh, run, rich run. There's a charity involved with it. So the over under Offshore was 6.03 on the 40. Rich Eisen ran a 5.97, so he went under. Congrats. But the day that he ran the 40, there was a little trash talk, I guess, in social media with Roger Goodell. So the next thing we see is a video from the offices in New York, and Roger Goodell's running the 40. He's running down this long corridor by all these uh, just depressing-looking cubicles. Oh, God, to work in the... New York office, the NFL around Raj, just awful. But he is. We all can't be rock and roll DJs. He, he is. He's trucking down this corridor. And of course, they've got the NFL PR guy with the clock. I mean, come on now. He's got the stopwatch and he's like, five, four, one. Come on. Roger Goodell is 59 years old and he ran a five, four, one. There are 300 pound linemen who are 22 years old at the combine who didn't run a five, four, one. How do you know it's a fugazi? It's a fake. Yeah, I know what a fugazi is. You're not at all cynical that 59-year-old Roger, Roger Goodell in a suit at work can run a 5-4-1 on carpet? I don't like the surface. <laughs> I didn't like the shoes. <laughs> I didn't like the suit. I don't trust the guy. I'm not very trusting today. I don't trust the guy working <laughs> today, the stopwatch. Today. <laughs> I want Goodell in Indianapolis at that combine on the same track. Eisen needs to demand this. By the way, this is all a great cause for charity. Light, lighten up. <laughs> well, you're not giving anything to charity. <laughs> right. All right. couple things. I think there's a conspiracy, but I think it's next level. And I think you are the unwitting victim. Oh, no. You're, <laughs> you're the putts. They did it in a way to make it where you couldn't possibly know if it was correct or not. So guys like you would talk about it. Of course. 
Right. <laughs> I got trolled again and I bought it and I did like 15 minutes on so the regular now, show. So now, now I'm doing there, it on a podcast. If there, if there is, a, a, you know, like next year, Goodell's actually going to do it in front of, you know, live on TV, it will be like a big half day story. I'm a sucker. <laughs> I'll admit it. Did you realize they were trying to make it like, make, of course. <laughs> and of I course. don't No, I think you're, you were like trying to debunk them. You thought they were trying to get over on you a little bit. <laughs> All right, let's segue into, and we'll start with odds. The best take of the week. And the discussion is on the quarterback that is drafted first or, you know, how highly these quarterbacks are going to be drafted. Cofield, you've got the odds on the number one quarterback picked. So number one, I've got number one pick in general. Okay, yes. So we'll just, we'll deal with that. Uh, Sam Darnold plus one seventy five, Josh Allen plus three hundred, Josh Rosen plus four fifty, Baker Mayfield plus six fifty. All right. So do that one more time. Sam Darnold one seventy five, Josh Allen plus three hundred. So so this is this Darnold's is, the favorite, right? He's now. the favorite to be the number one pick, although. On some odds boards, because of some betting, Barkley has pulled real close to him or right with him. But in terms of the order of the quarterbacks, it's Darnold, then Allen, then Rosen, then Mayfield. Okay. For top option as the number one pick. And I liked Allen when it was uh, plus 650. So what's his current number? 300. Ooh. Combine testing, right? Yeah. He was a freak. Plus that narrative of throwing 90 yards. That it just, I heard a lot of people talk. I don't know if you, I bet you're skeptical, but we're going to see. No, in that case, I'm not. But there's a, there's a sexiness to the whole thing, as you've pointed out, kind of like the international basketball player, like yeah. Yi from China. And it's like, ooh, look at the spin movie just put on that chair. There's a little bit of a mystery with Josh Allen because he played at Little Wyoming. All right. So let's start on our best take of the week. And it's going to be Michael Lombardi. But first, so we're going to be talking about Josh Rosen. We're going to be talking about Sam Darnold. We'll be talking about Baker Mayfield. We got sound from experts on all of them. And then Bill Simmons getting into a Twitter battle about this. First, though, let's start with Josh Rosen. And let's start with Fox's own Joel Klatt with some thoughts on the herd on Rosen. Candidly, Rosen gets in his own way. A little bit. Um, people generally don't like it when they feel like their their sports stars have other inter- interests outside of that sport. They don't they don't like it. It doesn't fit like t- you know nice and tidy in that box, right? They don't they don't like it that Josh is well schooled in other things. You know, he's he's good academically. He has come across at times like football is not his number one priority. Right. People are uncomfortable with that. And I think that narrative perpetuates to the point where people just automatically write him off a little bit and say, well, he's, he can't be the number one guy, you know, because he's not really the guy that it, it matters. He's not Tom Brady. He's not going to give up his life for football. So, as you know, there's no sacred cows on don't bet on it. And I'm going to prove that again, because I think Joel Klatt's the sharpest college guy in mainstream media. This was not sharp. One, I don't. When he starts talking about their sports, people don't like their sports stars, quote unquote, and it's not tidy. This isn't about how if the fans in Cleveland want Josh Rosen picked, it's about the GM, the decision makers with these NFL teams deciding 
do we downgrade Rosen because he's not as focused? Now we can discuss the validity of that or not, but it's not about what, how tidy it is. I mean, Klatt's kind of saying condescending, like, Oh, if these GMs could just understand the complexity of human being, come on. And then when he says they're sports stars, he's talking about like someone's popularity, not what the GMs think of them. And then he says they don't like him to be well-schooled. Come on. I, I the, 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 the GMs would love a guy to be well-schooled as long as he didn't spend any time doing it. <laughs> I mean, it's not so much they, don't, they want the guy dumb. It's they don't want him wasting their time, and, and from their perspective, wasting time on art. Right? You got enough time for art. You got enough time for – now it's back to the idea of what football teams want. Versus what's best for society, what's moral. Because you might say, hey, I'd rather my quarterback be the 20th best quarterback in the NFL for my favorite team and spend 20% of his time on social issues, right? And another guy, probably a Steeler fan, is going to say, I don't care about those social issues. I want you to be the best quarterback. It reminds me of my favorite Steeler story. Number one, it's about six or seven years ago. And you guys might remember... One of the Roonies was ambassador, I think, to Ireland, if I'm remembering correctly. And I came back. I I go back home around Pittsburgh most Christmases. I grew up in Ohio, but right across the river. And I was listening to local talk radio, but the Pittsburgh talk. And <laughs> Steelers had just lost three or four, let's say, right? And someone calls up and says, you know who I blame for this? Rooney. He goes, <laughs> he better get his butt back from Ireland. Forget about that ambassador crap. We've got problems in Steeler country. <laughs> I feel like your accent came out there a little bit. You want a little uh, Pittsburgher. So, so that, well, I, I always have a little Pittsburgh. But the fact of the matter is, if you just look at the football utility again, wanting a guy that's going to spend 20 hours a day in the film room, only makes sense. The idea you want him to have a well-rounded life so he can have a happy marriage after that. If you're just talking football, this is not even a debate. So you're saying Clatt is wrong for saying some football people are archaic. I'm saying Clatt's wrong for like three reasons. One is he's presenting it as if the football guys are being archaic or being, you know, myopic, small-minded, whatever you want to say. Right. One, two, his argument to make that case doesn't make sense because he's talking about their sports stars and neat and tidy. That's more about Rosen in the media, Rosen on Twitter getting heat, let's say, for being uh, not as focused. But the GMs, what he's talking about doesn't address it. He'd have to. The only argument you could make is when you draft a guy, number one, number two, number three in the draft, you know, first round that you're making a. Career investment. Not that every quarterback stays, but what quarterbacks have ever left that the team wasn't okay with them leaving? I mean, can I even, I mean, maybe I'm blocking. Has there been a franchise quarterback? So obviously Peyton Manning, it was okay. The, the Colts were okay with him leaving, right? Yep. So doesn't mean it's always going to be a lifetime. And, you know, uh, Drew Brees was another example, right? They were okay. With it's not as if, the it's a hundred percent, but you're pretty much making a career type investment if you hit, which is why it's so important, right? You give Tom Brady once, boom. And you could say 
in year 10, 12, 14, burnout is one of the main drive. You know, quarterbacks always say, and I hear, I do hear this. It's not, I didn't want to play the games. I didn't want to do the preparation. And you hear that from all NFL players usually. Now, it's another way maybe of them saying, I don't want to admit I'm physically not able to play anymore, right? But you could say if he has some outlets, if he has some ways to have, be more well-rounded, Rosen or anyone in year one, two, three, four, five, he's going to be more effective in year 10, 11, 12, and maybe he plays year 14 and 15 where he wouldn't otherwise. Now we can start to debate that, right? okay? But this idea of just kind of poo-pooing, which seems to be an almost unequivocal point, which is the harder you work at football, the better you are at football, especially a quarterback. He's wrong. Yeah, I agree. Clatch uh, wrong. GMs have to look at this, and I, I I have the same concerns that some GMs have about Josh Rosen. Now, there's the concern. Now, let's say, though, just that he went to South America for X amount of time in the offseason, and he was building hospitals with his own bare hands. That's one thing. And then the other thing is, hey, maybe he's going to start another, you know, Kaepernick-like BS. When, with your concerns, just pure utility again, mm-hmm. pure utility as a football player, where's your concerns lie? Working with certain coaches. I don't think he's going to blend well with a fire and brimstone type coach. And my other concern, I think you have to match him to the right market because he likes to talk and he likes to talk a lot and all that. You know, those concerns about politics and and social issues. This is interesting. Does that play worse or better in New York? I think it's it's more divisive in New York because you've got the Queens guys and then you've got the the, the woke. I also think you have the media. Poke, 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 poke. What can we get this guy to say today? I think if he goes to a small market, he may rub some of the locals the wrong way, but the media is not going to look to get a quote out of him every waking freaking moment. I got to be honest, Cofield. You made me think, it, and again, this is going to sound, let me just say this. I like it when someone comes at something with an angle I hadn't even considered. I've thought a lot about Josh Rosen. I've been following this kid since high school, and I really like him at UCLA. But, man, he is really a complicated dude to dissect for traditional football. Hey, it's all football, guys. So the fire and brimstone, that's a fret where a certain coach is going to be more open to it than others. Interesting point. But this is really interesting. If let's say he's equally as effective as the alternative quarterback, like God comes down and says he's going to have the exact same career. These guys to the past are going to have the exact same career Rosen or whomever, right? You could choose over him. But if the fans like Rosen 30% less, not so much a dislike him, just like him 30% less. How important is that? Because really, as much as we say winning is the only thing, blah, 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 championships, I totally disagree. You look at a team like the Florida Mar or the Marlins, right? Two championships in the last, what, 22 years, 23 years? And it never showed up in the stands. It, you know, hardly ever showed Obviously, a problematic franchise in baseball. I think in almost all cases, the only thing the fans care about is winning. So we've kind of created winning as a, a proxy. But it's not about winning. It's about keeping your fans happy. If somehow, some way, you could sell out every show or every game 
and your your fans were watching your the local uh, TV rights were through the roof, and you were five hundred every year. That would be something almost every organization would take. Winning equals fans being happy, but ultimately, what the, these organizations care about are the fans being happy. Agree but, or not? But I do think in some markets, there's there's different levels of winning. I think in some markets, nine and seven, ten and six every year, uh, maybe not making it to a Super Bowl ever. Some fan bases in those cities, the fans are happy with that. Others are not. And that's why I'm talking about Josh Rosen being in the right city. Because if he goes to the city where, hey, they're going to complain all the time, a Philly, a New York, a Boston, not that Boston would know recently, that 10 and 6 ain't good enough, that can wind up being torturous every year. I, I I'll, Let's go back to Chicago. And he's a weird bird. But Jay Cutler just, at some point, just turned off fans. And he was actually, he was he was a top 15 quarterback for most of his career. People just didn't like him. They couldn't connect with him. And then it started to take him down and the team down. Hold on. I might have to take a compliment, half of it back. When you meant which city was going to, how a city would respond to him, I thought you meant how politically uh, progressive the city I did. was. I did. But okay. there's also, there's also, also cities what look the at winning expectations differently. are. Yes. yes. All right. But let's get back to my point yep. and put a button on it and move on from that. Which is, you're right, however winning or wins translate to contentedness in a given city changes based on expectations. Steelers, I can promise you, as a Steeler fan, I, I we were one of the final eight teams, horrendous year. Because right? <laughs> I, I know Big Ben, yeah. you know, the, the, the days are numbered. Bob Dylan has a great line. It's a song, it's called Mississippi. It's off Love and Theft, which was released in 2001. It starts out, he goes, every step of the way, we walk the line. Your days are numbered. So are mine. Everybody's days are numbered. And the fact is, Big Ben's, as an elite quarterback, are very numbered. And every year, I, oh, I, listen, I'm, I'm getting away from that. I'm going to start complaining <laughs> about, we've got Le'Veon Bell, we've got Brown. We've got, I, I thought you are no, wrapping this up. No, yes. <laughs> but the point I'm making is this, and it's a subtle point, but I think it's a powerful one. What, what would... Jerry Jones. Well, Jerry Jones is different because I think he's thinking legacy. He's thinking he wants to have one more championship before he dies, right? His number days. But let's just say a normal 55-year-old, you know, Mark Cuban, let's say, before all this controversy. If it was A or B, A is you make the playoffs, lose in the first round, and on a scale 1 to 100, fan contentedness, which translate into dollars, is a 98 and the other example is you win the title, fan contentedness is an 88. Now, you might say winning and contentedness are highly correlated. Correct. But let's just say for whatever reason, and having an unpopular quarterback is an example of a reason, is, and I'll tell you this, Tomlin, listen, Pittsburgh, talking about race, there's some race, you know, Pittsburgh's got some old school. And again, I, old school almost, I think, sanitizes it. Pittsburgh's got some people thinking like Archie Bunker, let's say, right? Is Tomlin being black, the, the amount of tolerance he has for mistakes with those is a lot smaller. It just is what it is. And we're not talking race here as much as, hey, this is a quarterback that people don't like, mm-hmm. right? I can tell you this. One last thing about the Steelers. Probably was three years ago when Big Ben, it looked like he like broke his ankle, like his ankle touched his calf. 
And it's I'm thinking, is he out for just this year or is it going to be more than 12 months? And he comes out after halftime and can hardly walk and he plays the whole second half. I don't know if you remember this game. It was one of the most gutsy. I mean, it's one thing to play at the you know rec league or whatever. It's like he's got 350-pound guys running after him. I I don't even remember if they won that game or not. You didn't care. It made me proud to be a Steeler fan. Yeah. Right? On your Jones question, isn't Romo what you're talking about? That Romo was popular. The Cowboys were popular. A little bit controversial. Romo was a lightning rod, but it kept Jerry Jones and the Cowboys in the news. Eh, they didn't win at all. But popularity and making the money, it happened. Well, that's even more complex because now it's because in, in the social media age, some of it is how happy your fans are. Fan contentedness, let's call it. But some of it also is, especially for the more modern thinking coaches, what is our exposure out there? You know, the, the cowboy brand. And, and really, maybe you're making a point I wasn't even thinking about another one, which is if you're ever going to sell a team, the value of the team is what you care about the most. Fan contentedness is going to be correlated to value. Right, if you got some rabid fans, that team goes up. But also, your national profile through social media, whatever, how many jerseys you're selling, has a ton to do with the value of a program or of a organization. When I say value, I mean the financial, how much it's worth. I was just thinking back. Rivers and Eli Manning basically got flip flopped. I wonder if Philip Rivers would have worked in New York because he's so intense, but he can also act like a baby at times. I wonder if that would have turned people off. And if they were falling short in different years, that they would have said, "Get the guy, they get, get this guy the hell out of here." Meanwhile, Eli Manning just doesn't make any waves. He's just kind of a blob. But he did win two Super Bowls. Well, you can say a blob. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm talking about a, a personality wise. He's, he's kind zen. Of a blob. He's yeah. zen, right? To me, the, you know, Flacco's like that. But when you win, that's no problem. Yeah. But right, that's so- why that's why Eli works, and that's why I worry about Josh Rosen in certain cities. I think Josh Rosen. When people are upset and then, you know, he's if he's making excuses, acting like a baby, maybe not, you know, showing Cutler like behavior on the sidelines, that ain't going to work in giant markets where they do football every freaking day and they're super intense about it. Contentedness of the fans is certainly a big factor financially. That's unequivocal when it comes to these NFL teams. Rosen's likelihood of turning off a percentage of fans greater than a percentage greater than the average quarterback. I think you'd have to consider if you're not just thinking about winning, if you're thinking about the ultimate goal, which is fan contentedness. But then there are also, I keep throwing wrenches in this. There are also cities that are so desperate to win that I think they would welcome Rosen with open arms. And that's Buffalo and Cleveland. You're right. Because if you've lost that much, no matter if you like the player or not, if you're winning, you're going to be happy. Right. But no, in the NFL, no one wins every year. Right, heart. Well, Patriots. No one makes the playoffs nearly. You know, so if if it ends up being in the first seven years of Rosen, let's say you have three playoff appearances with the Browns, let's say, and one Super Bowl appearance, but you lose in seven years. <laughs> I'm thinking fairly quickly you're still going to be saying, "Hey, if only Rosen wasn't down in South America making hospitals with his own bare hands, we'd be we would have won that game." Ooh, you think expectations, the bar would get raised big time? Any, listen, any time, you know, when you get mad at your coworkers or someone who works for you or your partner, whatever it is, your friends, is when they've got something, you know, it's like the movie Silver Linings Playbook, right? Is your whole, you got the, the remote control at a certain angle. 
something happens and the wife walks by and, and, and she moves the remote. It's like, why'd you move that remote? Right. Is if there's some identifiable reason that, that something's going wrong, people cling to it in moments of anger. I can promise you quarterbacks that do things that rub their fans the wrong or his fans, the team's fans the wrong way. When you lose what you're going to lose a vast majority of the time, right? Every end, think about it, except for Tom Brady. And even Tom Brady has lost his last game each year far more than half the time, right? With Brady, it's often the Super Bowl, but still is, I mean, think about who's the second. I mean, no other quarterback. Well, so like Eli's won two out of what, 13 or something. So a vast, vast majority of years, no matter who you are, except Brady, because it's almost 50-50, right? Not quite, but one in three, is you're going to lose your last game. So the fans loving you or not loving you is ultimately, I mean, haven't you seen this? How many NFL cities have you seen that are happy, let's say, losing in their conference championship? You would say Final Four team? You know, you think Minnesota fans are happy? I think they're content right now, but you're well, right. Get, the bar will be raised here if they if they have that kind of defense and, you know, they're a 12-win team every year and they don't go to a Super Bowl. At some point, people start getting annoyed and saying, hey, Zimmer can't win the big one. How would you characterize the way the Bills fans felt after the fourth Super Bowl? Because that is the, that's almost a platonic ideal of you're not winning, but you're you're not winning it, but you're winning as much as any team can. Other than that last game, man, that's so deeply psychological for a for a city like that too. I mean, that's again, that's another topic. That Buffalo sixty six, baby, right? Good movie. So I, I think just making it to the four, and it's a lot like the, the way Cleveland is. It's almost like lovable loser at that point. So the fact you're calling the Bills a lovable loser when they won probably more games during that. If you go from their first Super Bowl to their last Super Bowl. Right? What what was that? Like six years? Right? There wasn't that many years in yeah. maybe seven. I don't know. Six, seven. That was the most dangerous offense in the AFC for a better part of uh, six, seven. I'm years. guessing they had the most wins during those that that span. So they, you just said, the Bills during that era were lovable losers, even though they won the most games. <laughs> it it shows you it's about titles and Rosen or whomever is going to lose and not win a title a vast majority of the time, and if the fan doesn't like them. Doesn't matter. Meaning, so, when I say it doesn't matter, it means all, all that winning doesn't matter. Unless you win the Super Bowl half the time, right? Once you win a third Super Bowl, maybe, does, you know, at that point, they can deal with them. But if it just seems like something the own, and I'm guessing these teams aren't thinking about it, but it just feels like the owner should be thinking about how happy is this player going to make my fans, even if we do win. So, where do we go next on Josh Rosen? Because there is a next. There's more. All right. So, Steve, you set us up. There was Mike Lombardi talked about Rosen. Right. And we got the sound on that. But before we talk, (laughs) we play it. Let's talk about Bill Simmons and a media battle over what Lombardi said. And that's the issue. What did Lombardi actually say? Did he say it or is he attributing it to someone else? So uh, Dave Zierin sent out a tweet saying that Mike Lombardi said of Josh Rosen, he has to decide whether he wants to be a humanitarian or football player. And Zieran at that point said, why? Why does he have to do that? Uh, Simmons came out and said, wait, wait, that's not what Lombardi said. You just misquoted him. Zieran tried again. So, so read the Simmons quote or the tweet. 
Yeah, Simmons. Well, Simmons actually reacted to both the original and the correction. So let me give you the correction. So Zarin then said, with apologies to Mike Lombardi, the exact quote was that Rosen, quote, might like humanitarian work more than football. I don't know where his values lie. Simmons followed up by saying, not nearly a good enough correction. You made the first quote up, and this paraphrased second version of it does not represent the context of what he said either. So let's hear what he said, and then there's a media side to this, and there's also a PC political, uh, politically correctness issue type side to this. What I'm hearing was it was okay. I think he's going to have to prove it. You know, he's coming back saying he loves football. I, you know, I've, I've talked to some people where he might, might like humanitarian work more than football. I don't know. Nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that, but I don't know where his, where his values really lie. All right. So obviously Lombardi is saying the, the rumor, the whispers is this guy isn't 100% focused, right? And you can hear with Lombardi a very different perspective, uh, even though he's saying, hey, who's to say Seinfeld style? Nothing wrong with that, right? But the fact of the matter is, <laughs> I guess full circle from the first topic, right? Asking about the gay plot, nothing wrong with that. But are you gay? <laughs> Do you like men? Is Lombardi scoffing like, hey, if you don't love football, you can't win. You know, you can't win if it's not your passion. The media side of this, though, is the idea of Simmons being so uh, defending Lombardi so well. And I'm a huge Lombardi fan. We've got a a very, (laughs) very modest uh, Twitter relationship at this point, which is a thrill to me because I'm thinking, okay, he's hanging out with Belichick. He's his right hand man, and we're talking a little football on DM. I'm feeling pretty cool. I can't lie. I'm this close once to Belichick. Once now. removed, right? <laughs> well, no, but still, <laughs> you can think of it for a second. But I think Lombardi knows more football than probably almost. I would say 95 percent of the media has, he's forgotten more football Lombardi than 95 percent of the media knows. I think he's one of the rare guys as well who talks to people who know football in the game and relays that message and conveys it well. And we'll we'll put that out there, which you don't get a lot of insider information along those lines. Yeah, but this dude was a GM mm-hmm. for a, this dude was in Cleveland with Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. So, yeah, he's going to hear the scuttlebutt, but he doesn't have to learn another ounce of football. And, feel, and unless the game right. changes, which the game keeps changing. But as of today, this guy knows football. And he's pretty much saying, hey, if you want to play for Balachek, it better be all football. right? Or even with a guy like Gronk, it's not all football. He's just so talented. He's able to overcome it. But I can promise you is whatever Gronk would be um, if he were – I'm sure if you ask Belichick, or maybe the way to say it is this, is the seeming discontent with the Patriots with Gronk tells you, even if you're the best at your position ever, if you're not all football, they're not happy about it, right? And let's be candid, Gronk has had a disappointing career relative to his ability. So what I find on the political front fascinating is this writer, the Zirin, writes for The Nation, and the nation is a, a progressive or left, strongly left-leaning magazine slash publication slash website. And Zirin's kind of saying, wait a minute, are you kind of saying that he shouldn't care about the world? And Simmons like jumps up so aggressively. You would think the nation who I, I had never heard of this guy before. Had you heard of him? Yes. 
He's actually, you'll hear of him more because uh, the recently traded Michael Bennett has a book out with Dave Zierin. And okay. it's pretty controversial. All right, fine. But up to now. I'd heard him, though. But yeah. no, you know, he's but not. But you're doing 15 hours of local radio a week, right? You're consuming, yes. which is, I'm saying, I could, I'm in the 98th percentile consuming sports media. I get it. I've never heard of it. I get it. And right. it's. Uh, so it's, why is Bill Simmons jumping out? Well, he's jumping out because, well, one, Lombardi works for the ringer. Yeah, so but, that, but that's still. part of it. But I think it's also, it is really important just for people out there, uh, so, you know, from a, from a journalist side or a media side, quotes are gigantic. You have to get them correct. Because what it appears Zirin did here is... And he put he, quote, quotation yeah, marks. He, he heard something, and because of whatever he believes, it's almost like you, you made Lombardi say it a certain way so that it offended you. And if you listen to the bite, Lombardi said, I've heard, and he might like humanitarianism. So there was no declarative statement there. This is what I've heard, and then I asked a question if he may like humanitarianism. He didn't say, hey, it's one or the other. And that's what Zirin got fired up about. Use the quote to then say, why? Mike Lombardi is boorish. Yeah, but here's the thing. Not that this is the only metric. And obviously, I'm not debating Twitter followers with someone who's not in the media. But if you're in the media, it's a pretty good uh, approximation of your Im- of your reach is your Twitter account, Right. Colin's got over, you know, I think 2 million followers now, right? He's got more reach than I do. But I've got 160,000 Twitter followers. Zirin's got 91,000. Now, I have a little bit of a relationship with Simmons because I wrote with Grantland for a football season a couple years ago. Um, and I know Cousin Sal, you know, a little bit better. Is But if I didn't know those guys at all, and I tweeted out something critical of Lombardi, borderline critical. You think Bill Simmons is going to get in a war with me? No, or not a war, but push back hard? No. Even though I have almost double the reach of, of this Zirin, here's why. Zirin writes for the nation. He was coming at it as you're not progressive enough. Right. It, the code of this complaint was not that Lombardi doesn't know football. It's are you saying right. it'd be better if this guy didn't do these you know, social justice warrior type things. And Simmons is like, oh, oh, hold on, hold on. We can't let this stand because Hollywood people in general are so afraid of being somehow branded or positioned as they're not properly, you know, socially forward enough. I'm in the media, but I do understand why media needs to be criticized. It really is important to tell the whole story. Can I give you a really stupid example? Quick, quick tangent. You don't think I'm saying otherwise, do you? Not at all. I'm saying what? No, I'm telling you that Bill Simmons, though, could have a bunch. uh, Bill Simmons could go defend his people a bunch in a given year. And usually if someone with 91,000 followers does something that's borderline, I mean, he's kind of misparaphrasing a little bit. Why is Simmons so aggressive about it? Right. He's picking a spot, so it means even more. My example doesn't need to be said. Oh, you sure? Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, no, we can do I it down the road. With you. Hey, it was listen. just about media accuracy and video and the way something was covered. Looking into it more, I was like, that's not what happened. To me, Tell us the real story. Whoever you agree with politically, the fact that the, the right's fake news mantra has gained as much traction as it has tells you what anyone that has any dealings with the media knows. 
is the media gets it right. If they, if the media doesn't have an agenda where they, there's not a financial or career motivation to lie. Media will get it right. 90% of the time they make mistakes more than you think they should. I think does that sound about right? Meaning review journals writing about something. There's no, I'm not sure what the number is. I think the, but the, the number should be, it's 98% right. The bar needs to be raised and, and people are getting called on the carpet a lot more. There's inaccuracies way too often. Misquotes. But if there's an agenda and I'll give you a good example, our, and you probably have some insight into this, Cofield. It, RJ Bell here, pregame.com. Don't bet on it with the hot take hot shot Steve Cofield. Is the review journal here in town was bought by uh, a Sheldon Adelson billionaire. He's a big supporter of the, the right politically. And there's been a, you work with various. Uh, review journal writers and there's been a lot of consternation about you know how much is coming from the top and we you know we're not allowed to write about this and all kind of that right that's an interesting topic but it's very applicable oscar goodman former mayor 12 years he was the our in our vegas truth interviews right here on this podcast channel he was the first person we did an interview with and that's been about a month that's been out and uh great feedback on that he said he used to get, you know, fine coverage from the Review Journal, but he works for one of these convention authorities or whatever. He right? works for the convention authority. It's called the convention yeah. authority. It's the Las Vegas uh, Visitors Convention Authority. And when it comes to Adelson, the Venetian and all and those properties, they have a convention business, too, that's gigantic. In a nutshell, Sheldon Adelson is annoyed that the LVCVA and their build-out has been publicly funded. He is a direct competitor. He doesn't get any public money, so he's been annoyed about that. And all of a sudden, there was a a deep dive investigation into the role of Oscar Goodman as the LVCVA ambassador. And they released, basically, they found all of the different expenditures to take care of him and tried to embarrass him about six months ago. The paper did uh, all of a sudden, you know, motivated to be truth tellers when it came to the LVCVA. Exactly. But when Steve Wynn is buying a bunch of advertising in the late 90s. Oh, that story. We don't want to print that story, right? So on one hand, and I'm not saying the Review Journal is any worse than any. And I, I think it's a tremendous paper, and they had a bloodletting at the top. A lot of people just walked away. They're like, we can't do this. But you do have to question that paper now in terms of legitimacy and, and objectivity with an owner like Sheldon Adelson. And that could happen, and that's not a political thing. It could easily happen with, you know, you name a billionaire who's a, a guy who's on the left, he could have the same effect. She could have the same effect. Yeah, but, and that's what's so bad is once you feel like you've been wrong, the right is going to say, well, what about the bias of the New York Times, the bias of the Washington? And no one can read the, the the New York Times and not think that there's more liberal writers than there are conservative writers. It's not, you know, it, it's impossible. And so to me, what's, do you question I just, that? I just, I just, I have to give you one more. I, I like the guys at our local paper, but with Adelson owning it, we noticed for nine months, there was an intense drive to get the Raiders stadium funded. Sheldon Adelson was part of the funding. You couldn't find a negative story about public funding of a $1.9 billion stadium until Adelson was out of the mix. Mark Davis and he had some breakup and all of a sudden, we're getting what looks like down the middle coverage on the stadium funding again. Exactly. I think that's why he bought the paper. Well, why else? Like a lot of people thought he was going, he bought the paper to affect 
the 2016 election, I think the stadium was his bigger concern because he's like, hey, just having pa- I've got it. the biggest outlet. We're not going to have anything negative about this stadium, my stadium that I'm going to get involved in. What did he pay for the paper? Like 300, 300 million? Uh, less than that. He probably paid about 160, but I, it had been purchased by another company yeah, for like a hundred. So, well, but the point was it got purchased for 105 and then within a year he bought it for 160. And so people he, paid like, a pre- 160? he paid a premium, yeah, right? 50 yeah. million. Let's call it 50 right. million. If anything, the paper's value probably went down in that time, right? A little bit. If history's any indication, but think about it. How, what's he worth? He's almost 20 billion, right? He's over 30, 30 billion. Yeah. So you had third. Now remember <laughs> this seems obvious. This seems obvious, but a billion is a thousand million. <laughs> A thousand million. So uh, let's say the whole paper itself, forget the premium. Let's, let's count the whole 160 million. So it's 0.16 billion, right? And he's got over 30. <laughs> I mean, it's literally, well, let's think about one seventh and then it's, it's less than one twentieth or, or, or I'm sorry. It's, it's even less than that. It's less than one two hundredth of his value. So if you were worth $200,000, it's like $1,000 to him. So, and and then in the town he lives in, he is the, the, the power broker because there's no other newspaper. So, and it's still important, a newspaper. So it makes sense, but he's got biases, but so do the owners of media organization X, Y, and Z. And some are better at not letting them be so obvious. So do radio stations. We've well, got entangling alliances with relationships with teams all over the country. You're always more. getting the true story on that, you know, down back to the sports level. But at least radio, I agree, and that's a great frustration for me, but at least radio stations are not journalists. They're opinions. Uh, but there, there are some, there, and there are journalists, and they break stories. You're right, most of it's supposed to be, we've moved more towards entertainment and opinion. But, you know, San Diego is a good example. The Chargers station pitched that stadium and funding it for a year before getting completely burned and slapped in the face by Spanos, that's disingenuous to the audience. Give your opinion. But when you put the First Amendment, right, and we say it in hushed tones, the idea of the, the, the reporting on power, right, that goes far beyond, hey, do you have a bias against uh, the coach because he doesn't call on you in the press conferences or whatever, right? And to me, I wish stations were more journalistic radio stations, but they're not. I mean, and again, not to get you in trouble. I've worked for multiple stations is, and we, we have a, a, a mutual acquaintance might be the right way to say it. Who got, um, he had a bad, in his opinion, a bad Mexican meal, a Mexican restaurant, X, Y, Z. And he went on air the next day and ran it for oh. like five minutes yeah. about, not like, oh, you know, it was so bad. I was, you know, in the bathroom and got suspended because that station or that, that Mexican place did advertising. That's not journalism, right? You, if you can't say something bad about something. So it's not, a, and I'm not even mentioning the station. I'm not mentioning the person because it, it's an unwinnable fight. It, don't expect radio to be journalists. They're not, right? But newspapers are supposed to be. And the RJ is biased, and so are many other papers, if not most papers. You just don't see it as clearly sometimes, right? Then you add in the fact that with Twitter now, everyone thinks they're a journalist. So whatever standards they were back with the Associated Press or the New York Times, 
they're they're long gone, and most people are struggling. I mean, one guy wrote a long hit piece about me, and it was a guy who literally had wrote one article in the year prior to the publication of his hit piece against me. And then in the year since, I don't think he wrote one article. So for one year or for two years, he had one paycheck coming in. Do you think he might've had a little bit of, and I think I'm right on those now. I could be a little off, but generally is you think he might've had a little bit of motivation to sensationalize things. So he made sure he got that last check for this writing assignment So it it only makes sense. So Cofield, I agree with you 150%. I think in 20 years, we're going to look back and realize that we had a mentality that journalism, though we thought it might've been biased in some ways in general was 95 plus percent. That I mean, if you went back, we're about the same age or a little bit older is if we go back in time and think about 1995 and something's on 60 minutes, wouldn't you agree you would have been, you know, in your thirties at that point, wouldn't you agree? Oh, I know you were being in your twenties. Wouldn't you agree that in general, if you saw it on 60 minutes, you and your friends would have said, yeah, that's probably true. Yes. Today, if you read something on blog XYZ, there's still the residual feeling that that's probably true. Cause it's in print, even though it's digital. I think in 20 years, we're going to realize that whatever gate, however bad the gatekeepers were in some ways, they at least kept the standards up there in the nineties. And without the gatekeepers, there's really no standards. The line between in traditional companies, editorial and sales has been blurred further and further and further. You know, if uh, sales and management walked over and they're like, Hey, it's, it's a money concern. Editorial could say, get out. Well, it was a Chinese wall back in the day. Yep, Not, not so much anymore. Sadly. All right, now, this is some deep dives here, baby, is we've got Lombardi talking about Sam Darnold and, to me, another <laughs> another PC issue. Sam Darnold and Josh Allen are working with Jordan Palmer. Okay, he's Jordan Palmer is Carson Palmer's younger brother. He's had a quarterback camp, great guy, teaches quarterbacks, fundamentals, how to throw. Darnold's telling people at the Combine – he was advised not to throw by Jordan. So you know the story's a little messed up right there, right? So he's trying to throw his his quarterback guru under the bus, which makes you worried about it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he wasn't great. From what my conversations with teams, it wasn't great on the blackboard. Didn't really, you know, wasn't like a fiery leader type of guy. Disappointing to hear because you're thinking Sam Darnold's got all it is. Bad body, not really toned, not a beach body. I mean, I think he took some steps back. I really do. I think he's going to have to recover. And, and these are the things that are hard to recover from because you're going to turn over your franchise to this guy, right? You want this guy to be your leader. And when he comes in and he doesn't really give you that extra oomph, he doesn't give you that command, then you start to worry. And I've been reluctant to endorse Donald. I kind of liked him towards the end of the year. And then now, you know, it looks like everything about him is sloppy. Maybe that's why he has such bad ball control in the pocket. Maybe that's why he doesn't do some things. Allen certainly helped himself. Baker Mayfield was Baker Mayfield. I mean, he came in kind of a cocky kid, you know, kind of like was was almost like given the, the scouts, the got to recruit me, I'm not recruiting you. Mm-hmm. Completely the wrong approach. But look, he's still a good player. Lombardi ringer. <laughs> podcast let's recap oh my god there's so now, much good stuff let's there. recap <laughs> now again to me this is straight talk if i'm as a businessman that's you know quite frankly de- dealing with million dollar decisions i have no tolerance for bs 
while you're wrinkling your eyebrows. Keep going. <laughs> is I want the truth. And, and, and I'll tell you this, when I, I've had times, and this is kind of Peter Drucker business one-on-one stuff, where your subordinates don't want to tell you the truth because it's bad truth. It's like, you got to tell the truth, good or bad. It's the only way to make decisions. And football is a million dollar business. Obviously this is the straight talk. Pretty much called him a liar, right? Saying he threw him under the bus. That's okay. Said not football smart. Say on the board, you say not football smart, not a leader. Also said he has a bad body. (laughs) Called him sloppy, right? Which now here's where the here's where it gets interesting, right? Because with racism, there's code words, right? This so you know, and this is what they talk about is things like, oh, well, they would call that guy lazy, right? So to me, I have listened to Lombardi talk hundreds and hundreds of hours because I listen to everything he does. I would make a major bet that he doesn't have an ounce of racism, like not an ounce in him. He's talking what he considers to be straight. And I love it. That's why I consider this to be the hot take or not the hot take, the best take of the week, because I feel like there's a, 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 an a plus football guy giving you straight talk. He might be right. He might be wrong. This Darnold might be the best quarterback in the history of the NFL. Right. But right now, Lombardi believes what he's saying, and he's saying them, saying it plainly. Most people would not be comfortable saying those things about a black quarterback. So, one, I love that he, he and I don't know if it's true or not. How, what do I know about Darnold at that level? I, I wasn't at the combine, but I love that I know Lombardi believes it, and I love that he's saying it, and he's not letting political considerations dictate football talk. Doesn't mean you won't get in trouble over it, though. Why would he get in trouble? What did he say that's offensive? He's to, not. To, he's, to he's me, not a leader. Playing devil's ab. He's not a leader. He's not a worker, and he's fat, and he's doughy. So what? But if I asked, if I said the following, is what has been the unfair cliches about black quarterbacks over the years? What would you say? Lazy, not hardworking, lacking intelligence. Not good at the blackboard, bad body, not a leader. See, I think you're looking at the the racism part, not the outrage. That's not the story. It's not trustworthy. How, no, no. It's how big the story becomes is, are these three and four factors? Is this going to blow up with Sam Darnold? Because I bet you it would blow up with Lamar Jackson. I think that's the point on how the media covers the stories and what gets attention and what doesn't. I find this fascinating. I'm not surprised by it. I'm not offended by it. But I think some of us in the media embrace certain stories and blow them up even more. Like he basically sounds like small Jamarcus Russell. Right? But but Steve, you're making my point by saying that this very well could be true. And w- w- because of fear of being accused of racism or whatever, not speaking the truth is not virtuous meaning speaking the truth is virtuous. Right. And I agree. That's why I decided on this being the take of the week and not saying I agree with it. I don't know enough to even have an opinion about Darnold at this level. I know as a fan what I think of him. I think it's very believable. Yeah. It's very believable. And one of the reasons that I think it's believable is because 
your guy and my guy, Mr. Cowherd, he's been on this Darnold thing with regards to the USC prep for Darnold. He's been killing Clay Helton and poor coaching in general at USC, not having Darnold where he should be. And then you hear all four important factors and he's not ready to go. And you're like, well, maybe that was college prep. Maybe that's USC letting him down. Perhaps. Right. And then you just don't know. And, and I think Collins about as forthright as radio guys are, but no one's perfect. You know, you wonder now, is there something about the USC coach that they don't give him special sideline passes that he wants this guy at that he, you know, he wants to be in the, the luxury box or is there something about his relationship with the Darnold's family that the Darnold family that he's going to, you know, prop him up a little bit. You never know. And again, I, let me be clear. I have zero, uh, thought that that's the case but you once you get behind the curtain a little bit and i'm just a little bit in media you realize there, someone got offended by something someone said 12 years ago and they're looking to put the knife in their back 12 years later right and it just to me it ruins media because media is about the truth it's about people's honest opinion if we're talking about opinion media well opinions only matter if they're honest right Opinions aren't right and wrong necessarily. They're either honest or disingenuous. And to me, I hate anything that gets in the way of someone telling the truth or at least telling their truth. Mike Lombardi told his truth, even though it almost was, it almost could have been a parody of like an old school take on an unfair take on a black quarterback. And since I don't believe that for one second, it doesn't cause me pause, meaning I don't believe for one second Lombardi's being biased at all. But to have the, he's a very intelligent guy. He knows he is setting himself up to be questioned on, hey, the black quarterback is lazy, but he's still giving us the truth. And to me, that is virtuous. Absolutely. We, he already got blasted for his Doug Peterson take, right? And then he backed off it a little bit. By the way, I just searched. Well, he didn't back off it. He reevaluated with new information. I think he backed off. And I said when he did that he should have stuck to his guns because the. <laughs> but you're a, the t- Peterson you're story, a hot take hot shot. No, but the, the Peterson story's not done yet. But he's my, but Lombardi never thought he was this. If you can win one Super Bowl, you're a good enough coach. You shouldn't be lambasted. I know I keep taking this on this other tangent, but my point on what gets covered with white quarterbacks and black quarterbacks is interesting because you can search Sam Darnold sloppy. There's nothing. This is, this is a, it's, it's a freaking potential number one pick in the draft. He's being called fat and lazy. That is awesome. Sports talk. There's nothing on the web under Sam Darnold sloppy. Now, why has this not been covered? That's the question. It's either Lombardi's just plain wrong or Bill Belichick's right-hand man at football for no years. No way! Or other people have heard the same thing, felt the same thing, and said, I don't want to write that. Okay, it sets I get you, it. It sets you up, right? I mean, Lombardi even saying in this case that Rosen, maybe it's not a good thing if he doesn't love football 100%, yeah. is getting attacked by the guy from the nation. People have to start doing this more. Uh, this brings me back to the example two years ago when unnamed scout said about Paxton Lynch, the Broncos first round pick when they were before the draft, about a month before the draft, this guy is in essence, I'll go with harsher terms, too stupid and lazy to hand over a franchise to. 
And you you never you'd never hear that about white quarterbacks. But in this case, the guy has no work ethic, and now it's turned out two years in, Paxton Lynch doesn't seem to care. So that scout was on the money. We need more honesty across the board. Agreed. And to recap quickly is I don't know if Lombardi's right, though I usually bet with Lombardi on football. And I don't care if he's right or not, because we can't know it now. I care it's his honest truth, and he's sharing it, even though it doesn't come out, come off. Or at least there's a, a PC risk to what he's saying. And the fact that he's willing, that the, for him, the truth is more, or his truth is more important than that risk, tip of the hat for me. All right, last thing on these players, because there's so much interest, and this is quick, so much interest about Baker Mayfield. We've got a little <laughs> bit of Baker Mayfield from, once again, Joel Klatt, once again, from the herd. There's no quarterback in this draft that owns the middle of the field like Baker Mayfield. And in the direction that the NFL is going towards RPOs, he's the best RPO thrower I've seen in 10 years. Ooh, hot take. What do you think, Ophio? That's really strong. I mean, I trust him. I trust him on his football knowledge. I mean, I think you have to blend in what Lombardi said about his personality. That That's the most debatable topic with Baker Mayfield. I think he can play football. I don't think he's... Yeah, I worry about his size a little bit, but I think it's his attitude and how he's going to deal, how he'll deal with next level coaching. If he's that arrogant, that was interesting. What Lombardi said, where he's like, he's coming in acting like he's being recruited. Like, bro, that was, that's college. That was Oklahoma. You gotta, you gotta impress us now. I agree. I agree. And, and it's funny because on the surface, I think people look at all arrogance or let's say high, high confidence in the same way where it, a lot of people are turned off by that because it they feel relatively small compared to what that person is putting out there. But there's all kind of different arrogance or confidence. And some of it is I believe in myself. And part of that belief is I know I've got to work and do A, B, C, D, and E. And another is, hey, I transcend best practices. One, like Tom Brady, the, I'm sure you heard this story. Right, like the, a few months after he was drafted, he saw Kraft and he said, drafting me is the best decision you've ever made. Yep. Now, is that good or bad? Well, it's great once you're on a team. Once you've been picked and you've gotten a job. Now, the flip side of that is Aaron Rodgers' reputation the year he was coming out was that he was aloof and arrogant and he paid for it. Now, the Packers made out like bandits, but he slipped all the way down to the bottom of the first round. But someone else would come back and say, well, back to RJ's idea that Intrinsic talent is one cell in the spreadsheet and any subtractions or other cells that hasn't Aaron Rodgers underperformed like to have a quarterback that good for that long and to have one Super Bowl and only one Super Bowl appearance. Hasn't he underperformed? The book's not closed and I well, question, yeah. I question, but we can only assess up to now. I question coaching too. I think Mike McCarthy is a below average coach. And maybe there's something about if Aaron Rodgers was a better leader, he would have more power with the front office and he would have been able to get this coach replaced. Boy, I love that RPO thing from, <laughs> sorry to go back to Bradford for a second. I love the RPO thing with a guy who's one. We're not a super deep divey, you know, X's and O's football podcast, but that'll be interesting to see because uh, everyone raved about RPOs with Nick Foles. He's six. So when he's on the move, he can also see over mammoth tackles and, We'll see what Mayfield does. But if anything, getting out of the pocket is what you got to do if you're a little smaller, right? So, all right. We got two things left. We have the hottest take. So we're going to have some cold cash, 
splashing it. And then we've got Get Off My Lawn from Cofield. Hottest take from First Take, Max Kellerman talking about Anthony Davis. When you look at Anthony Davis, both sides of the floor, Katie's an excellent defender too. Anthony Davis is, is, is like an all-time great versatile defender. It's unbelievable. And he has a more versatile offense than KD's. When you look at AD, I'm telling you right now, take a look at LeBron James over the next 25 or so regular season games, because I believe those will be the last games in the regular season where we still think about LeBron James as the best player in the world. I believe by the end of next season, meaning like start next season, that's going to be the year where Anthony Davis, not Kawhi, got to see him with his injury, not KD, AD, Anthony Davis becomes the best player in the world starting next season. And already right now, I think the transition is underway. He's not only pushing James Harden for MVP, he's pushing LeBron for the crown right now. Pretty bold. Well, he has proven one point that he can win because they've gotten better without DeMarcus Cousins, I think a lot of people expected them just to completely crap the bed. Now, they made some trades to help the roster, so they went for it. Better than LeBron and better than Harden. Not yet. I find it to be absurd. And here, Not yet. And Although, I will I will say, before you get to the absurd part, uh, Harden is a tough guy to grade because Max made a good point. You play basketball on both ends of the floor, and Davis is a defensive whiz, not only a shot blocker, but I really believe that in a pinch, he can actually cover all five positions. James Harden can't do that. But no. tell me why it's absurd. I'm going to deconstruct this in about 40 seconds. What's changed with Anthony Davis between now, the most recent run, and three months ago? More shot opportunities. Bigger sense of urgency. Has to be the guy. Doesn't have to share the ball with Cousins and make him happy. But what about pre-Cousins? I would say the cast around him, without going player by player, has gotten... A little bit better. You just what you just said is directly contradictory. You said the removal of cousins helped, but now you're saying adding good players helps. Well, my point on cousins, I don't think cousins is a winning player. I think cousins is a guy that teammates fear that you got to keep him happy to a certain extent. So I actually think not hit, a leader, bad body, not football. Oh wait, never mind. He's a psycho. <laughs> oh, he's, he's, a, he, uh, yeah, he's been he's long been a psycho. But good, uh, deconstruct it. But but the point I'm making yeah. is that. Something's flipped. There's been a switch that flipped in his head. And I have found that if someone's on a trend line where, hey, first year they understand certain amount, second year a certain amount, and then beginning of the third year, they get it. And then it's from there on. What year is this for Anthony Davis? It's only his fifth year. You know, he's only 24 years old. But it's his fifth year. I'm not saying he's ready to retire. I'm saying usually, you know how they say by the second year, you know if a quarterback's good or not. Usually you find your level by, uh, and not that you don't take a little step up or something, but LeBron in his fourth year. But, but tough comparison. LeBron, no, right. LeBron, LeBron was LeBron. built like a brick ass house when, when but, he was 22 years old. This, this kid was 6'11", 210 when he came into the league. I know you you don't have total recall, and obviously <laughs> I don't either, but tell me a player who was significantly better in year six than he was in year four. I mean, just, you know, someone that really just took a big step. And it, it could be year five. It could be year. I mean, what I'm right. saying is okay. once you're more than a couple years in. So to me, it's telling me that whatever it is he's doing now, he had a choice not to do where it was something. It's almost like the person who's in his contract year where, 
you always hear this guy's in his contract year. So he's going to bed earlier. He's working out. He's thinner. He's eating right. And then he signs that contract and then he's eating the hamburgers the next year is my guess is this can't be physical. He didn't physically get better in the last couple months, right? right, By any material amount. He didn't, nothing could have changed except he somehow willed himself to say, that's it. I'm going to quit messing around. And if that, then that's an indictment that says he could have been doing this last year, or he could have been doing this earlier this year and in a way chose not to. And whenever someone has years and years of one thing and then a short period of another, boy, you want to talk about your best bet. Your best bet is they revert back. It's the famous, you know, my uncle had a heart attack like 20 years ago. He was, you know, 55 or something. He's, he's bringing Tupperware full of carrots to Thanksgiving dinner. He's waking up at 530 to go walk. He quit smoking two years later. Hasn't walked. He's smoking again. What is his Davis's baseline and his base level, his baseline and I think it's a bad bet he doesn't return to it. So you think this is more short burst than light going on? Yeah. Oh, maybe it's a light going on, but the light going on is going to, is it default setting is off. Staying on. Yeah. Right? It's not going to stay on. Okay. So, and if this was year two or even three for him, maybe it's a little late in a career for this quantum leap. I want to see it because I know the last time we talked about this, Skip Bayless was crapping all over him. That was about four weeks ago. And then all of a sudden, Anthony Davis went bonkers and now they've won 10 straight. All right, here we are. Mr. Cofield, get off my lawn. (sighs) I feel like this one might be too inside, but you listen to a lot of sports radio. Let me read a comment from a sports radio person. Nothing drives me nuts more than a lack of full disclosure about who we are in sports radio because we can be petulant. We can be hard to get along with. We can be egotistical. We like money, right? We like 15 jobs at a time. First off, Kofi, don't, don't group me in with talk radio. I didn't guy. say you were a I, sports radio I, guy. I do this. You, you remember the great song, Messed Around and Got a Triple Double? It was a good day. My radio stuff is me messing around. Okay. I was not, I was not <laughs> rolling you in. So the comment is about Kirk Cousins. Was he Rogers? No. Was he Breeze? No. Was he Brady? No. But he was getting paid at the top of those guys' averages, and he couldn't even win playoff games. Kirk Cousins, of all people, has zero reason to complain over his franchise tags. I just, I don't like us in sports radio counting other people's money. I don't think any of us would enjoy working on one-year deals while we saw our pals who we think are equals peers having five- and six-year deals with security. So I'm just, I'm never comfortable with banging on any football player who's pissed off that he can't get a five-year deal and set himself up long-term just in case he gets injured. Because we know the other side of the NFL. As soon as you fall off the cliff and you have a health issue, you are gone. Look at the last couple of days. DeMarco Murray, top of the mountain, 1,800 yards with the Cowboys. You know, he made good money going from the Eagles to the Titans. He was just released. Who knows what's going to happen with him now? He'll get a job. But lifespan. Maybe. Like, like in radio, remember, in radio we have a lifespan of... 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. These guys have a lifespan in the NFL. The good players could be four years, you know, five years like a Sean Merriman, seven or 10. We should not be critiquing them on, you know, asking for market value and some security. And remember, older running backs that aren't starters 
usually don't get a job because they got to play special teams. You can't have a second string running back that's not playing special teams. So who knows if he does? Yep. All right. So couple things you have been <laughs> that wasn't as get off my lawn as no, some of the other ones but it just, it's it's, I, I saw it the last couple of days and i'm like cut it out with a kirk cousins bashing all the time pay the guys money so here's what i would say one you've been in talk radio for over 20 years and you're honest about it most people in talk radio and local markets especially non-top 15 markets are discontented. They wish they were on TV. They wish they were making more money. They all think, listen, other than I'll be candid with you, other than Colin, I would make the case. And again, I'm just a big fan. So maybe that's it. I would make the case that a good local guy could look at any other national host and say, I could do that. Right now. I know some people are going to say, well, Dan Patrick, this, and I, you know, I enjoy Dan and Clay Travis, that, and Doug Gottlieb and, Mike Greenberg and Golick. I'm not saying those guys aren't elite. I'm not saying that the local guys are right to think that. I don't think they are most of the time, but they, you can see it. It's like, it's close, right? You can see it. And I just think Colin, cause he just does those 20 minute solo things that no one else can hardly, you know, I've never seen anyone else doing. They're good. I think most guys realize they can't do it, but let me ask you, Steve, you, and this is actually, I mean, I didn't expect to do this. It just hit me. <laughs> but since we never added, if you refuse, it's going to look bad. Oh. So you're you're rapidly approaching fifty. <laughs> <laughs> You've been in local radio for over twenty years. In my opinion, and now on Straight Out of Vegas, you're the host. So for a weekend, three hours a weekend, you're a national guy. You've done a ton of serious, but. I would make the case you should be 200% more successful. Whatever you're... No, no. What I mean is... Oh, the music! <laughs> whatever you Come on, wrap it up. Get to the point. <laughs> We're all going to start crying here. <laughs> you might cry. Everyone else is laughing. Uh, is whatever, wah, wah, wah. But I honestly believe that if you were making triple what you were making now, it would be about what you should be making. So my question is... When you look at, and let's not name names unless you want to, national host X that's making triple what you're making now is, how do you think about it? Do you find yourself falling into that trap? Of, what, being all angry and jealous? Yeah. Nah, not so much. I am where I am because of who I am, so I don't always play nice. I'm also not super self-promoter, and I think that's a big part of it. But no, the, the national guys, most, and we're I'm talking about the top end national guys. Who His Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. Like him. Yes. <laughs> they they do have a unique like talent. <laughs> they, they do have a unique talent, and they're really good. In, in many ways, they play. I mean, Stephen A is a. He's not like that off the air well, all Stephen the time. A's he's, he's, six, he's an, Stephen A is making six million. He's an amazing a character, though. Ste- he Stephen, gets it. But what I'm saying is, Stephen A is a next level. If you think oh, he's top, no, no, if you think you're supposed to be compete with Stephen A, then no, you're I didn't say that. That's no, what no. I'm saying. No, I'm so, saying. But I I'm talking that. about the guy who has the serious full time gig on channel. You know, not up in the 200s. No one listens up there. But in the 80s, in the 80s, by the way, Fox when we're on is 83 is. Those guys, and let's, we're not talking about anyone in particular. We're not even talking any station in particular. But <laughs> You're really, really no, being careful here. Well, I just don't, because to me, 
you can talk more honestly if you don't make it personal, yeah. right? And there are people on Sirius on channel 80 acts that I think you're better than I appreciate and, that. And, and I think in your heart, you probably think you're better than, and you, they're making triple what you're making a year. I'm really bashing my salary here. Over no, over I'm, I'm trying to say is how do you think about it? It doesn't bother me. If you let it bother you every day, then you're going to kill yourself. Would you, I, I, I love Las Vegas. I have my local gig. No, I do, you, you I do, do great. I, I mean, do stuff with you, which is, you know, I'm fortunate to get stuff with Fox Sports Radio. I get a taste with yeah, you Sirius it. XM. Uh, all of that said, I am also someone who is never satisfied with just one venture. So I'm I'm happy. No. I'm happy having lots of gigs. I, I have no it, problem. But uh, play the sad music again. <laughs> 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 I get what you're getting at. Like why you know, when but, when but, you when you look at the the next level host, um, you know, does it does it annoy you? But you know the fact that really genuine. We've had long dinners and drinking and all kinds of stuff talking about these things. And and guys, he's being honest about his take here because uh, I don't think you could have been fooling me all these years. Is I would make a major bet that in the next fifteen, you know, you're going to say fifteen years. Well, listen, people work till they're sixty five, so twenty, you know, twenty, almost twenty years that you're going to have that success. I would bet, yes or no, even money. I'd be, I don't want to post it up in so much <laughs> in escrow, but if, if, bet even money, I would. But if there was another guy exactly where you are, but they were petty and negative about it, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this, and people aren't going to like this, but hey, I don't care. Is there's guys on Fox that if you listen closely, are really negative about Colin. They won't say the name, right? They won't say the name. And to me, I get it right in a way because Colin comes in and he's making 15 times what they're making, if not more. And they thinking he's not 15 times, but he's got a TV show. There's like 60 people working for that TV show. And they're thinking, why not us? Now, if they were smart, really smart, they'd be hanging out over there trying to figure out what's going on, trying to get involved, right? Instead, they're making cracks and, the cracks don't help, right? It's just to make themselves feel better. The fact that you're not doing that from your level to the level up is why I think there's a hell of a chance you're going to make that step. But let's be candid. A lot of people in your situation are very embittered, even though they're making good money. Like you said, you're right, making and so good. In, in the end, it holds them back. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think as you get older, this applies to everyone's field, doesn't it? I mean, shouldn't you look at the people who are achieving and going, how are they achieving? Even if you think you're you're better than them, you have to examine it and go, well, what are they doing that I'm not doing? Well, how am I holding myself back? So, and I, I apply that, uh, there is, to, there is to, one difference. I apply though. that to every level of sports radio, uh, example earlier today. It's like, Hey, we're not getting a lot of phone calls. Oh, callers up yours. That's no, it's you. You're doing the show. You're not doing something compelling. That's your fault. The difference between every career, every endeavor having this and radio is when something is subjective versus objective, right. right? You can make the case that that's why rock and roll. That's why there's a lot of 29 year olds still in rock band, garage bands. Aren't comedians a good way to look at this? Too? The very best, right? Cause there are some brilliant comedians uh, who never break through and they're like, Oh my God, why it, is that clown? They with are that so bit? embittered. Yep. I mean, you see Louis CK, the Louis show represented that. Um, 
Uh, I'm dying up here. A, a really good show, I thought, on Showtime one year in shows that. And to some degree, um, uh, Crashing, I think, shows oh, that, yeah. the, the HBO show. Yeah. And I think comedy is is the most subjective because it's 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 just so hard to know what's good, right? <laughs> so Plus, I who are you? Who are you? Just like sports radio, who are you trying to appeal to? Are you speaking over your audience's head? Are you? Oh, I'm so brilliant. I don't want to deal with the mouth breathers. That's another excuse. That's stupid. Yeah. Why would you not want to deal with that? I mean, I I see other people who are very popular in local markets, and I'm like, man, I do not like that brand of sports talk. But God Almighty, they connect with their listeners a lot better than I do, and they connect with sponsors a lot better than I do. So why would I be mad at that? That's on you, the talent. That's your fault. Get better. Learn a lesson. That's why Steve Co. Hey, you want this kind of straight talk? Follow him on Twitter, at Steve Cofield. The last point I'll make about this is, I think it's a situation where when there's a salary cap, there's a finite amount of money, a very specific finite amount of money that's going to be distributed to the players. And each team has a specific amount they can distribute and they can allot it any way they want. So I kind of get, if you want to say, Hey, players shouldn't get 50% of the pool, they should get 35. Now I'm not saying I agree with that, but that's a conversation. But once you have a, a set pile, I can promise you the GMs are doing their best to because the GM's job's on the line, the way they allot that money, right? So the idea, that, again, that a sports radio guy in Omaha is going to know more than the GM of the team, mm. that's probably another sign of why they are struggling to take the next step. I'm RJ Bell. You can follow me on Twitter, at RJ in Vegas. Guys, I'm not sure what to do with this show. Because in a way, I came in thinking, let's do a tight hour. And we did two hours and four minutes. And I'll tell you, I thought it was really good. Like, I was happy with it. (laughs) Were you, Steve? Yeah, it flew by. I didn't realize it was two hours. I hope it was entertaining. So that's the question. Do me a favor. I don't often ask for, like, direct feedback. Go to my Twitter, at RJ in Vegas, and tell me, is this too long? Would you rather have this depth? But less topics? Would you rather have as many topics, but half as much or, you know, maybe 30% less depth? Would you rather me not tell stories? Well, that's not going to, listen, that's not going to happen regardless. But guys, this is new. I think there's something here. I really do. And the listenership says so. Tell us which, if we're going to veer a little bit one way or the other, let us know at RJ in Vegas. Talk to you next week.